Good morning. What an honor to get to share with you this morning from God's Word, be with God's people, and what a great privilege to get to meet Todd this summer and get to hear him on the internet, get to hear him preach. I've been listening to him on the internet the last few weeks and to get to see the body here. And what a great men's ministry you all have here. We had a wonderful weekend talking about being a godly man. What does it mean to be a godly man as a husband, as a father, as a worker, uh, and what's our mission in life as a godly man? And we really, though, need to thank the women's ministry because they provided all the food and all the snacks. Amen? Amen. <laughs> so uh, we had a wonderful weekend, and I trust we'll have a wonderful morning here in just a few minutes we have to share. I'm from Dallas. I bring greetings from Dallas Theological Seminary, where we have about 2,000 students there studying to be pastors and missionaries and counselors and Christian educators uh, going to North America and all over the world to share the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace. And so we're so proud of alumni like Todd. And we, it's easy for us to come to a church like this and brag about Dallas Seminary and to brag about Todd. Bragging, of course, in the Lord. And uh, <laughs> we like to hold up people like Todd as an example of the type of training you can get at Dallas Theological Seminary. And I really wanted to thank Bill and Jeannie for hosting me in their home the last three days. What a wonderful couple. And we had a wonderful time last night. Thinking about Dallas, I knew that Texas Tech was playing a Dallas team, TCU. So we really wanted to find out how that game was going. And uh, Jeannie and Bill said, you know what, we've got this fancy DVD, this DVR, this dish. We'll tape it. And then when we get home, we'll watch it. So we went to, uh, I think it's called Kegel's Steakhouse and had a wonderful dinner, a wonderful evening. And in the back of my mind, I was wondering, I wonder how TCU's doing. I wonder how Tech's doing. And then toward the end of our meal, we heard this cheer over in the corner, several people shouting. And I, you know, I've been around restaurants before. I said, that's a birthday party over there. They're having a birthday party probably for somebody. And our waitress came over and we said, hey, you're having a birthday over there, huh? And she said, no, Tech won. This waitress robbed us of our joy. <laughs> she stole our chance to see this amazing victory. But all was not lost. As Bill and Jeannie and I were driving home, we said, you know, we know the ending. It's sort of like Christianity. We know the ending. We know how it turns out. Well, let's just go home now and watch it and see how it played out. And so we were watching that DVD, that DVR of the game progressing and progressing. But... Something that Bill hadn't planned on was three overtimes. <laughs> you know what happened. <laughs> the score was getting closer and closer, and they finally tied, and they went into that first overtime, and they went into that second overtime, and just as they were getting ready for this glorious tech victory, it said, you have run out of tape. <laughs> I'm not making this up just because I'm a preacher. You can ask Bill and Jeannie. That's exactly what happened. That DVR, that DVR robbed us <laughs> of our chance to not only learn about the tech victory, but to experience it and to see it and to watch it happen. And that's what we're really talking about today in the book of Colossians. Don't be a replacement referee. How many of you are football fans? Raise your hand up real high. Okay. I'm an equal opportunity offender, so how many of you could care less about football? Don't be shy. Raise your hand. Okay. 
Okay, I see you out there. Well, most of us saw the recent replacement refs. You know what happened? The real NFL referees went on strike. It seems like everybody's going on strike these days. And the NFL referees went on strike. And they were umpiring the NFL games, these replacement referees, while the official referees were on strike. So the replacement refs, they didn't work out so well, as some of you know. Early on, there were some obvious mistakes. And some of these replacement referees were making errors in judgment. They had the same black and white uniforms on. They had the same whistles. They had the same hats. But real NFL football fans could tell these referees aren't so good. Their performance, it didn't comport with reality. Well, what happened was the experts kept saying, right now this is no big deal, but one of these games it's going to cost some team a victory. This could come down to the end of the game where one team ends up winning or losing just because of these poor replacement referees. And it happened. The Green Bay Packers versus the Seattle Seahawks on Monday Night Football. Some are calling it the worst call ever. September 4th, Russell Wilson threw deep to Golden Tate. But the Packers, Greg Jennings, intercepted. But these replacement refs, they didn't see it that way. Umpires, they robbed the Packers of their victory. They stole their celebration. You know, in the Christian life, we're to submit to Jesus Christ. You and I are to submit to Jesus Christ. We're to also submit to the civil authorities. If you get pulled over by a red flashing light, you'll do yourself a favor by submitting to them. When they hold up that badge, they're saying to you, I have authority over you in this area. And we're also to submit to the leaders in our church. But, that's about all we're supposed to submit to. Other than that, we have freedom in Jesus Christ. We have freedom to choose to follow Jesus Christ in the way that we feel led. We have so many options, so many freedoms Jesus Christ is calling us to live this grace-filled life of freedom. But some teachers in the early church, in this city of Colossae, this early church, some teachers were taking it upon themselves to add to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were putting on a black and white shirt. They were putting on a whistle. They were putting on the referee hat. And they were acting as umpire and judge over other believers. These, quote, spiritual experts... They were telling everyone which days were sacred. They were telling people what to eat and what to drink. They were talking about their experiences with worshiping as if they were joining with the angels in a special kind of angelic worship. These teachers ended up being like the replacement refs. These special teachers, they didn't work out so well. And in our passage today, Paul calls them on that. The Apostle Paul gives us a warning about these replacement refs. Now, our theme this weekend was 2 Timothy 2.2. These things, these truths, which you have heard from faithful witnesses, also pass them along to others. That's God's plan for the church, isn't it? Discipleship. Another word for discipleship is coaching. Have you been coached up in this Christian faith? Think about it. Has someone coached you? Has someone trained you? And also, are you coaching others? 
All of us should be coached by someone more experienced, someone older in the faith. Someone should be coaching us, and we also should be coaching others, pouring into other people's lives. Have you done that? Are you doing that? Are you being coached? And are you coaching others? We all have that need in our life, don't we? All Christ followers need to be following Christ's strategy. And Christ's strategy is discipleship. There is no plan B. The goal here isn't a huge building with lots of people. Jesus Christ always went away from the crowds to be with the twelve. God's plan is that you gather here on Sunday as the church gathered, but then you go out and you get trained and you train others. You, you get coached by mature believers and you coach believers who aren't as mature as you. That's God's only plan. Well, let's see how this plays out. Take your Bibles and turn with me in Colossians. I know we're already working our way through this series. I've been listening and watching Todd on the internet in Colossians chapter 2, and I wanted to pick it up where he was at because I know some of you, you don't like to get out of order. And you want to make sure we stay on track. So I thought I would jump in and and work on that with Todd as a partner in the ministry. Second chapter, let your eyes run down to verse 18. Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. Paul's writing to this cosmopolitan city that's filled with these mixed philosophies. It was a mix of Hebrew and Christian and paganism. They had come up with kind of a folk religion, kind of a mystery to ward off evil They had these sayings. They had these special days. They had these festivals. And Paul is warning them about that. Look at Colossians chapter 2, and we'll pick it up with verse 18 and read through 23. Let no one who delights in humility and the worship of angels pass judgment on you. That person goes on at great lengths about what he has supposedly seen, but he is puffed up with empty notions by his fleshly mind. He has not held fast to the head from whom the whole body, supported and knit together through its ligaments and sinews, grows with a growth that is from God. If you have died with Christ to the elemental spirits of the world, why do you submit to them as though you lived in the world? Do not handle. Do not taste. Do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use founded as they are on human commands and teachings, even though they have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship and false humility achieved by an unsparing treatment of the body, a wisdom with no true value, they in reality result in fleshly indulgence. Wow. This morning, in the brief time that we have, we're going to look at a problem this problem that existed in the church. And we're going to describe and define that problem. And next we'll look at a solution. What is Paul saying is the solution to that problem? And then we'll close with an application. So easy to follow here. A Dallas Seminary three-point sermon. A problem, a solution, and an application. Now the problem was in verse 18 and 19. Paul says, no one is allowed to be acting as umpire over you. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Paul's saying to the new Christians there, the young church there in Colossae, don't let other people judge over you in a condemning way. 
Don't let other people set themselves up over you and push you down in your walk with Christ. You are to be connected to the head, which is Jesus Christ. And the head, Jesus Christ, can judge you. The civil authorities can judge you. The leaders of the church can judge you and uh, chastise you or sometimes call you in for questioning. But no one else is supposed to. Other people in the body, other members of the body are not to be going around putting on that hat, putting on that black and white shirt and holding that whistle and we're not to be condemning and putting down each other as believers. That's what Paul says. And we sometimes slip into that, don't we? Now there's two ways we act out this problem. One is we do that to other people. We look at someone and we say, oh, I know what their motives are. (laughs) Old Joe, I remember Joe. And we sometimes put on that robe of umpire and judge and we don't know people's motives. Only God knows people's motives. So we sometimes falsely judge. But then the one specifically that Paul's addressing here is sometimes we allow people to judge us. And Paul says that's just as wrong. We're to be free in our grace. We're to stand firm in Christ. But sometimes don't we allow other Christians even to judge us and to condemn us and to put us down? And Paul says don't allow anyone to do that. Stand firm in that grace that you've received from God. Don't be walking around as a fruit inspector judging other people's lives, looking for that one little point of problem. We talked about it this weekend with the men. How many times as dads do we do this? My son will mow the yard. Finally, gloriously, my son mows the yard. Amen? (laughs) I got my son to mow the yard. And it looks pretty good. He only missed a few strips. But he leaves that lawnmower out in the driveway. And I come out, and what do I say? Do I say, what a great job you did with the lawn? No. As a human, failed creature, as a flawed dad, I'll say, why didn't you put the lawnmower away? (laughs) We're not done until we put the lawnmower away, man. And how do you think that makes him feel? I can never measure up. How can I ever be good enough for dad? You remember maybe one time when you brought home four A's and one B. You remember that? Four A's and one B. And what happened? Well, that's too convicting. Let's move on. (laughs) They put a great deal of stock in their false humility. Their ascetic practices. We fast for 30 days. We lay on a bed of nails. We go without. We're godly. We're super spiritual. You see that there in verse 18 and 19? False humility. There's nothing wrong with humility. We all love people that are humble. But there's nothing worse than false humility. I heard the story the other day about a pastor that was the most humble pastor in town. He was a great pastor and he was very humble. In fact, he was so humble that the congregation gave him a medal. A medal that said, Most Humble Pastor in Town. Except the next week he was fired because someone saw him wearing that medal around town. (laughs) You see, you can be the humble person, but just don't let anybody know about it. And isn't humility slippery like that? It's like trying to hold on to a watermelon seed. When we feel like we're humble, then what happens? 
We're usually not. And what Paul is calling us here to is not this false humility, but a true picture of a sinner saved by grace. I don't deserve salvation. I don't deserve redemption. I don't deserve eternal life. Christ did that for me. That's how I can be humble. I don't serve in order to perform for God. I serve because of what Christ did for me. We all should serve out of this idea of humility. They put a great deal of stock in inducing visions. They believed that, sure, the preaching was good, the word was good, but there was something extra. There was a special program. There was a a seminar you could go to. There was a workshop you could attend. There were some CDs you could listen to. That there was more than just Christ. There was more than the Word. There was some special vision you could have. And Paul says, make sure you stay connected to the head. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. The Gospel is based on grace. Well, letter B, they also felt like they had secret spiritual insight. If you're the type that likes to fill out the bulletin, they had secret spiritual insight. In other words, hey, Melanie Park preaches the Gospel. Todd is a faithful pastor. But have you heard about this new thing that you can do in the Christian life? Have you heard about this extra thing that you can do to get closer to Christ? Taking on more and adding it to the Gospel. Front-loading the Gospel. Adding on to the Gospel of grace. And Christ always taught, for apart from Me, you can do nothing. By grace. And grace alone have we been saved. It is not by works, lest we would be able to boast about it. They became so concerned with calling on angels as a means of protection from evil forces that they were virtually worshiping them. They had different angels that they had identified. They had different causes that they felt like the angels represented. And they had gotten into this categorization of which angel you worshipped and which angel this family worshipped. And Paul reminds them that Jesus Christ is the head over all the angels. See... They were having visions. They focused on visions. They were focused on experiences. They even talked about the content of those visions in their teaching. Can you imagine? They're preaching the gospel. They're talking about Jesus Christ. And they say, By the way, I had a vision. Let me tell you what God told me. Let me tell you what God shared with me. Boy, then people would really sit up on the edge of their seats, wouldn't they? Oh, God told me this. I had a vision. of. Let me describe what happened in my vision. And Paul warns against that here. Letter D, they had a fleshly mind. They had a fleshly mind. They displayed an arrogance that revealed their worldly orientation. They didn't have that spirit-filled mind. Paul says, he describes their teaching and he says they had a fleshly mind. And most importantly, letter E, they were not connected to the head, that is Christ. Paul paints here an image of the body with sinews and ligaments and joints. Remember that old song? The foot bones connected to the ankle bone. The ankle bones connected to the leg bone. That's how the body works. Connected. All of its parts. You are a part of the body if you're connected to the head. You ever seen a chicken running around with its head cut off? That chicken is not connected to its head. It's frenetic. It's running around with all different notions and ideas. 
Paul said these teachers, they had these visions, they had these practices, they had these days, but they weren't connected to the head. They weren't connected to the truth that had been passed down. Paul says don't do that. Don't do that. I know there are people in this body that are suffering right now from cancer. I've heard some of the stories about people suffering from cancer. And the cancer experts tell us that there's really no idea why cancer starts. There's really no reason or source for cancer. But as far as we know, the experts have pinned it down to what they call free-floating radicals. Free-floating radicals in the body. And they, cancer experts tell us that this is very dangerous. That what happens is the ultimate source of the body's growth is the blood and the sinews and the bone marrow. If we have healthy bone marrow, if we have healthy blood, if we have healthy oxygen, we can have a healthy body. But cancer is caused by free-floating radicals. We're not even sure what they are. Let me ask you, are you a free-floating radical? Or are you connected to the body? The ultimate source of this body's growth is Christ. The ultimate source is the head. And what we mean by growth is not just many members. What we mean by growth is maturity. A walk of faith. Are you closer to Jesus Christ today than you were one year ago? If not, why not? Are you more in love with Jesus Christ today than you were when you first became a believer? And are you helping someone else get there? Are you about the program of coaching, of discipleship? Or have you made that mistake that some of these people made? Have you put on that hat? Have you put on that referee's uniform? And have you put on that whistle? And are you judging others in the body? Well, let's keep looking. What's the solution? If that was the problem, this problem of judging others, this problem of false teaching, that was a real cancer in the body in Colossae. What's the solution? The solution is found in verses 20 to 23. Look at verses 20 to 23 one more time. If you have died with Christ, and Paul uses that as a first-class condition like Todd said last week, if you have died with Christ, and you have died with Christ, why do you submit to those elemental spirits of the world? If you have died with Christ, and you have then you're risen with Christ. Amen? If you died with Christ, then you were raised with Christ. You were raised to walk in newness of life. You were raised to walk in freedom. You're not, no longer, you're not any longer bound by these elemental spirits of the world. Don't touch this. Don't taste that. Don't do something on this day. Don't observe that holiday. Jesus Christ says you're free from that. You're free to live as God leads you to live. You're free to do the things Christ you feel is calling you to do. A true wisdom comes from that freedom in Christ. So many religious rules and regulations are based on fear. Number 2A. So many religious rules and regulations are based on fear. We feel if we can just get across these man-made rules, that'll keep people from sin. But Paul says that never works. It always ends up being just a fleshly indulgence. 
Because if we do keep those rules, then we feel like, well, we did that ourselves. We were able to keep the Christian rules. And Paul says that's not how the Christian life works. And B, man-made religious decrees usually come from man-made wisdom. And that's not what we're seeking. We're not seeking man-made wisdom. What we want is God's wisdom. And rules kept in the power of the flesh actually lead to decay. Rules kept in the power of the flesh actually end up leading to decay. Instead of leading to life like we have here at Melanie Park. Life! These man-made rules, these legalisms, always end up leading toward decay. Look at this building. The back rows are filled. This place is full of life. Mark leads us in joyful worship. The men's ministry is out serving. The women's ministries are out serving. Downstairs, you've got reconstruction going on with the kids. The experts in church growth say when you're 80% full, it's time to expand. This place is, a, I see two empty seats back there. This place is 95% full. This place is full of life. And I also know from some of you that this place is full of maturity. It's not just numbers. It's not just growth. It's also depth. Melanie Park, through the years, through the faithful Dallas Seminary graduates like Doc Henry and Roger Wisdom and all the different leaders through the years that have built into this body, have built wisdom and maturity. What a life-filled place this is. And Paul says, don't let legalists slip in the side door. Don't let legalists creep in among you and steal you of the Melanie Park joy. This is where you find life and life more abundantly at this place. How many of you have been keeping up with the presidential debates? I know, I know what you're thinking. Now he's quit preaching and he's gone to meddling. I'm not going to step on anyone's toes. But I want to talk about the rule keeper at the presidential debate, Candy Crowley. Experts in these presidential debates are now saying that Candy Crowley inserted herself into the debate when she should have, shouldn't have. Just like that referee at the Packers-Seattle game inserted himself wrongly, when you see the videotape, the two replacement refs come running down and they look at the ball and one ref goes like this and one ref goes like this. <laughs> what kind of replacement refs were that? Well, what happened was President Obama was talking and Governor Romney was talking and Candy Crowley, her job was to be the rule keeper just to be the moderator. But instead, experts are now saying that she inserted herself and tried to defend one of the candidates over the other. Candy Crowley, experts are saying, ended up robbing one of the candidates of a chance to make some important point. Candy Crowley acted like a judge. She acted like a colossae, pharisaical legalist. Don't be like that. Paul says don't do that. Don't look at other people and put them down and judge them and come on top of them and say, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be doing that. Paul says, let the body grow up into Jesus Christ, into all of its fullness. Every joint and ligament tied together to help in the growth of the body. Now, some of you are still wondering about this passage. You're still looking at me saying, is this really true? Is this really true? Well, first of all, it comes from God's Word. It comes from the pen of the Apostle Paul. And Paul says, do not be letting other Christians put you down. So I don't think we can make it any clearer than that. I think it's true. Paul says, don't let this happen to you. 
Don't let yourself come under the whistle of the legalists. Don't let yourself be judged by those who are not mature in the faith. Second of all, some of you are thinking, yeah, but I'm an exception. (laughs) See, Paul, you don't know me. I'm an exception. See, I've been coming to Melanie Park for what? 43 years. I kind of need to look out every once in a while and see who's out of line. I'm, I'm super mature in my faith. You see? And, I, and you don't know me, Paul. I, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll keep doing that role of judging others. The body kind of needs me to do that. You ever met someone like that? They're a real joy to be around, aren't they? <laughs> you ever found that person in the body of Christ that has the gift of criticism? <laughs> Boy, they're fun at a dinner party, aren't they? Paul says don't do that. Paul says don't be like that. And then some of you say, yes, I know I should not let people do this, but I really value something more. You know, I shouldn't let people judge me. I shouldn't let people condemn me. But I want people to like me. And I want to get along. And I don't want to make waves. And so sometimes I guess I'll let people do that to me. I'll let people judge me. I'll, hey, no nudging. I saw someone nudge someone over here. You can't do that. I guess I'll, I'll take it. You know, I'm not the person that likes to get in your face. And Paul says that's just as wrong as the judging is allowing someone to judge you. They're both equally wrong. Well, the solution is, since you have died with Christ, only submit to Christ. Don't submit to the unhelpful rules of men. Since you have died with Christ... Don't submit to the unhelpful rules of men. Now, I wanted to really figure out what this word meant, so my host happened to be a Greek New Testament scholar. Thank God. So I'm staying with Bill, and we spent some time looking at this in the original language, just so I could impress you people, okay? Now, this word, what does it mean really to judge someone? I've talked about it as a referee. I've talked about it as an umpire. To judge someone means to give judgment against you. Another way to say it is to act as an umpire over you. I act as an umpire over you. I break up the peace or I break up the order in order to come along and disqualify you. It's kind of like Todd has done a lot of biking and he can get into a bike race and if he goes out of his lane or he goes off the course, I could be an umpire and I could say, Todd, you're disqualified. I could throw you out of the race. At this time, there were Isthmian Games, the precursor to the Olympic Games. And someone could be running down this aisle right here and they go out of their lane and I could be a judge and I could say, you're out of your lane. You're disqualified. That's the word. You're disqualified. But yet I don't have the authority to do that. I wasn't a real referee. I was a fake referee. I just snuck into the games and I said, hey, you're disqualified. That's what this word means. Let no one beguile you. That's another way to say it. Let no one rob you of your reward. Let no one frustrate you in your walk of grace. Have you ever bumped into someone who's frustrating you? Someone who's coming down on you? And after a time, it feels like, I don't know if I really even want to hang around them. It starts to get old. I feel like when I'm around them, I lose my joy. I feel like when we spend, the more time we spend together, I start to lose my peace. I start to lose my freedom in Christ. Two men sat in prison bars. One saw mud, the other stars. What's your perspective? 
Is your perspective on man-made, outward appearances, keeping the rules? Or is your perspective on that grace that comes from Christ? That freedom, that joy, that life that comes from a free walk with Christ? I'll tell you how I've done this. I was at church recently at my church in Lake Point in Dallas. Big, growing church, healthy church. And we were on a committee, a, a workshop on how to serve in the community. And the guy that was up talking was a staff guy. And this guy was a pastor on the staff, and he had long hair. He had a ponytail. It went way down here to the middle of his back. And I, and I sat there in my legalism. I sat there in my judgment, and I thought, look at this guy. What kind of witness is that? I mean, you know, that, what, why would a guy do that? Why would a guy have long hair like that? Why would a guy have a ponytail? And he's, and he's on staff here at the church. And he kept talking and talking. And finally, he kept talking about service projects and being on mission and helping, helping to grow the church and reaching out to lost people and serving in the community. And finally, he, he, just in a passing, he said, for, for, for example, this hair. He said, I'm getting tired of this hair. He goes, but next week I'm cutting it off because I've been growing out this hair because I'm donating it to cancer victims. They make wigs out of it. And I thought, boy, I, I've, I've put on the umpire's hat. I, I've taken up the referee's whistle. I've put on the black and white shirt when I shouldn't have. I had acted as a replacement ref. Have you ever done that? This church, Melanie Park Church, founded on grace. Pastor Todd and his teaching, his emphasis is on grace. I love the founder of our school, Dr. Lewis Sperry Chafer. A lot of people think Dallas Seminary's main emphasis is on end times, and it is. We have a lot of experts on end times and how is the world going to end, when is Christ coming back. But few people know that Dr. Chafer's real emphasis was grace. That was his main theme, was grace. And I love this passage. I'm going to read it three times. I'm going to read the same passage three times because I really want you to get this. Grace finds its greatest triumph and glory in the sphere of human helplessness. Wow. I'm going to read that again. Grace finds its greatest triumph and glory in the sphere of human helplessness. Is that starting to make sense? Is it starting to sink in? Or maybe I'm the slow one. It took me years to learn this truth. Still taking me years to learn this truth. I need grace. You need grace. Grace finds its greatest triumph and glory in the sphere of human helplessness. Wow. We have to get to the point in our walk where we say, Lord, unless you do this, I'm helpless. I am far from you. I am lost and ruined. And if anyone in here has never come to that point where you've put all of your trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross, this morning could be the greatest morning of your life. That you would simply believe and trust in the work 
that Jesus Christ did on the cross. Not by effort. Not by cleaning up your life. Not by trying to be a good person. But by believing in what Christ did. And that same grace that saves us will sustain us. Since you are dead to the world, number three, why are you trying to live under the rules of the world? Since you and I are dead to the world, why do we try to live under the rules of the world? Paul's so logical, he just makes sense here. He's like a a sharp attorney. He says, you've died to the rules of the world. Why are you trying to live under them? They no longer apply to you. Touch this. Don't touch that. Don't eat this. Don't eat that. Be careful about this day and that day. Paul says those rules no longer apply to you. You're free in Christ. As you are coaching others and being coached by others, make sure you are submitting to the head that is Jesus Christ. Make sure you and I are not just lording it over each other as disciples, but we're submitting to the head that is Jesus Christ. Whenever I go to different churches, I always love worshiping like we did this morning with the screen up here. But it just warmed my heart when that screen started to slowly go up. You know why? Because when that screen starts to go up, it reveals the true source of all the grace that we've been talking about this morning. The cross. When we see the cross, we see Christ. And when we see Christ, we see that that's where the grace comes from. We didn't earn it. It's a gift to us. There's nothing we can do to repay the the gift that God gives to us. What could you and I do? What could we ever do to repay the gift of grace that God gave to us? This morning, Jeannie got up early and fixed these amazing crepes. Crepes with blueberries and orange juice and coffee and bacon. A breakfast feast. It was a gift. There's nothing I could do. It's like I say to my kids, knock, knock. Luke. Luke, no money. (laughs) I felt like, Jeannie, there's nothing I can do. How silly of me would it have been? How silly would it have been for me to go out and and Bill says, hey, what's what's Pettit doing out there? It looks like he's washing the windows. Pettit's out there washing the windows. And I holler back. I'm just trying to pay for those crepes. i got a little bit more to do because now I'm going to try to pay for the bacon and now I'm going to try to pay for the blueberries. And, and now, Bill, you've helped me out. Now I'm going to try to mow the yard and help you, Bill. That's all human effort. The only response to grace is thank you. Thank you, God. And it frees us up to live in a beautiful walk of joy and love. Joy and love. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for each person in this room and I pray for myself most of all that I would not be beguiled by those that would try to condemn me or come down on me with rules and regulations. Lord, I want to I do what the Apostle Paul said. I want to walk in grace. I want to walk in freedom. I want to walk in life. So help me to do that. Lord, I'm so thankful for a church like this with elders and pastors like Todd and Mark and the whole staff here, the youth pastor that I've heard about, where they're passing on grace here at Melanie Park.
And may this church stand strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. We ask it in your Son's name, believing. For the expansion of the kingdom, we trust you, Lord. And everyone said...